That was some exciting music for our morning coffee. <laughs> exciting, exciting music. Well, today is April 15th. April 15th is a big day. What do we do on April 15th? No. Today is the day that 23 years ago, Alicia and I started dating. And I kissed her. April 15th. April 15th. It is also tax day, which is significantly less cool. Um, I thought today uh, we would have a really robust discussion of, of taxes and the role of domestic monetary policy as outlined in the Bible. And uh, Brian steered me back towards our First John series. Uh, so I think, I think maybe we'll stick with that just this time. Uh, last week, Brian launched this series uh, through this open letter we know as the book of First John. Uh, let's go ahead and pull up these first four verses, Cody. First John 1 through 4. We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. This one who is life itself was revealed to us, and we have seen him. And now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. He was with the Father. Is this me? Yeah? Do we have another one? Okay, sweet. I'll stand really, really still. Oh, we read this. He was with the Father, and then he was revealed to us. We proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard, so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that you may fully share our joy. Last week, Brian uh, spoke about two important realities for somebody who calls himself a follower of Jesus. First, you believe in Christ, not the idea of Christ, not a pretty good dude who said cool stuff, not an apparition of God, the complete picture of God becoming man and humbling himself to walk amongst us, fully God and fully man. The second is that, is that you feel compelled to share Christ. When you understand who he is and what he has saved you from, there's some recognition that such an opportunity to be rescued needs to be shared, it needs to be given away. So today, uh, we're going to take a closer look at verses 3 and 4. How are we coming with this? I think it's lost. Ethan, see if it's on that stand over there in the corner. Let's see if we get there. My roadie, Ethan. <laughs> verses 3 and 4. We proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We're writing these things so that you may fully share our joy. I think fellowship and joy are really churchy words. They get tossed around really lightly, and maybe to the point that they become... It's my, if I stand on my left foot, Grant... You can't find the other mic. You gave me a handheld. Yeah, yeah okay. Check, 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 check. There we are. Yay. Okay, are we okay? Yeah. See what happens if I get on my left foot. <laughs> we're okay. I think we're okay. 
Fellowship and joy, these are really, really churchy words. And we throw them around glibly, we throw them around lightly, but at some point, these were really profound. So let's see if we can maybe recapture a little bit of that today. John, John talks about two kinds of fellowship in these verses. Fellowship with each other, you and me, fellowship, Alex and I, and then fellowship with God. Fellowship with each other, here's what it isn't. See, we might be tempted to kind of cheapen the word fellowship, reducing it to somebody that I chit-chat with at church. Amanda's ready to go. It's Sunday, it's like 11.15, and Amanda's ready to get out the door, and Alex is in there fellowshipping. Alex. Or we might just equate it with, with friendship, somebody that we have fun with, somebody we share hobbies with. Uh, but fellowship is far deeper and richer. The Greek word that John uses here is koinonia. speaks to a deep commonality of identity, of purpose, and of values. When you have koinonia with people, it's the idea that these are your people, people who know you, people who understand you, people who support you, people who speak truth to you, people who correct you, people who know who it is that you aspire to be like and encourage you and teach you and address you in those things. People that offer you encouragement, correction, grace, and forgiveness. This is your band of brothers, right? But, but it isn't easy, right? It takes time. It takes proximity. It takes intentionality. It takes trust, which grows out of tended relationships. It's why we push life groups every week. Every week that you come here, it's the second announcement, right? Life groups, be in a life group. Because this koinonia is really, really important. Not because we need a successful program, not because we want to make you really busy with church stuff, but because you need koinonia. Teens, front row. You guys are awesome. You're in the splash zone. Be warned. <laughs> it's really easy to have your church friends and to have your school friends, right? And friends are friends, right? But let me encourage you to keep your church friends close because friends, one week they're your bestie and the next week they don't know you. But the people with whom you have the opportunity to share fellowship, to have koinonia, there's something deeper. There's a commonality of purpose, a commonality of values. There's something much, much greater than my friends. Keep them close. So I grew up in Alaska, if few of you know, and I spent a lot of my summertime uh, in Valdez. And go ahead and hit this slide here, Cody. This was, this was the view that I woke up to on a sunny morning in Valdez. Has anybody been to Valdez here? A few of us? Alicia, I took Alicia to Valdez. If you can catch a Valdez on a sunny day, it is, it is amazing. Uh, next slide there, Cody. Uh, there's 12-year-old me. <laughs> this would have been 1987, rocking the feathered part down the middle. That's good, that's good. I didn't realize I was so cool <laughs> at that. Yeah, and this, this is what a 75-pound halibut looks like, Josh. <laughs> Now, Josh likes to fish, and, and he catches a fish, and maybe it's like this, and you got to throw it back. Or maybe it's like this, and it's a really nice one, right? Josh, this is a fish. <laughs> this, is, this is what it's about. 
75 pound fish. And it's not the biggest fish that we hauled out of the ocean in Valdez. <coughs> and the boat here uh, on your upper right, this is my dad's boat, the Koinonea. <coughs> it slept six, it had a head, it had a kitchen, it had a refrigerator, it had a dinghy. You would drop down and paddle around, paddle into shore. His favorite thing was taking our pastors out for like three days. We would go out and, uh, and drop anchor at night. So you're out there, I mean out there, hours out of port. Nobody around, no communication. This didn't exist. We had clay tablets back then. <laughs> no communication. Maybe you've uh, been on a retreat or even a road trip where you kind of get a chance to really get to know somebody. Let me tell you what kind of fellowship happens on this little postage stamp on the ocean when you're out there alone with someone for three days. It's something. Fellowship, koinonia. Now the other thing John points us to is fellowship with God. Here's what it isn't. It isn't casual. It isn't my buddy God. Let's watch a rom-com together. It isn't, hey, that guy cut me off in traffic. God smite him with fire. It isn't that. It isn't that. Here's what it is. It's a radical relational experience of the eternal creator. The God who imagined black holes and the Milky Way. Tectonic plates over a core of molten rock. Dinosaurs, platypus, and the mantis shrimp. You know about the mantis shrimp? The mantis shrimp moves so fast when it strikes that the water around its little claw boils. It's amazing. Photons, the tiniest particles of energy or light, and the UY Scuddy star, which is 21 billion times the volume of our sun. The God that imagined all of this, made it, called it good, invites you to know him. Not to know about him, not to pass a test about him, not to know some facts about him, but to relationally experience his presence. He became a man and walked among us, and John bears witness to this, to this bridge to the gap of sin that allows us to know him and experience him. And for the recipients of this letter 2,000 years ago, this notion of intimacy with God was radical and scandalous. When Jesus invites his followers to address God with the Aramaic Abba, Daddy, Father, this is the most personal and intimate address of a child to their father. It was radical and it was scandalous. And the list of examples of those previously who had encountered and experienced God was really short and really distinguished. In Exodus 33, Moses says to God, show me your glorious presence. The Lord replied, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will call out my name, Yahweh, before you. For I will show mercy to anyone I choose, and I will show compassion to anyone I choose. But you may not look directly at my face, for no one may see me and live. The Lord continued, look, stand near me on this rock. As my glorious presence passes by, I will hide you in the crevice of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and let you see me from behind, but my face will not be seen. And after this encounter, Moses comes, comes down off of the mountain, and what's happened to him? 
He looks like a he looks like a nightlight. He's glowing, right? And the Israelites are kind of freaked out, right? If if Ethan came walking down the aisle and he was like glowing in the dark, you'd probably take a step back before you took a step forward, right? John is telling us that all of that, the glory, the power, the beauty, the radiance of God, which is overwhelming to the point of death just to look upon, all of this pressed into, into space and time, and the person of Jesus Christ walked this earth and wants to know you and wants you to know him personally. And yet... How many of us just sort of treat Jesus like steak sauce, right? Like something you kind of sprinkle on your life to just sort of take the things you do and maybe do them a little better. Maybe just be a little more gooder, right? Just a little sprinkling. It's like a, like a fuel additive, right? Just a little more octane in the tank. All of this as opposed to experiencing this full relationship that Jesus has made available to us, allowing him to completely reorder, reorganize our being around truth and love and grace. And now here's the real rub is John tells us that our fellowship with God, our koinonia with God, and our fellowship, our koinonia with each other are completely bound up. That our very identity and our life's pursuit are an all-encompassing, resonant expression of the person of Jesus Christ, allowing him to bathe us in his truth and radiating his power in us together. You know what quantum entanglement is? Is Derek here? Derek, do you know about quantum? Okay, so I'm going to try to talk about it a little bit. I'm probably going to get it wrong, and I'm not really smart enough to get the math. Let's just be really honest. But it seems really, really cool. So, so two photons that are entangled get emitted from a source, and they'll have properties that are complementary to each other. And now here's the weird part, is these two photons that are in this state of entanglement, if I change, they can be miles apart, and if I change the state of one, it changes the state of the other. And we have lots of equations and theories, but I don't think we really understand why. Like, it's a little spooky, right? It would be like if, if, if Gary went to Lamar's to get a donut and, and you pushed me, suddenly Gary feels this like, this like shove, right? The theologian A.W. Tozer writes this. Has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos all tuned to the same fork are automatically tuned to each other. They are of one <laughs> accord by being tuned not to each other, but to another standard to which one must individually bow. So 100 worshipers met together, each one looking away to Christ, are in heart nearer to each other than they could possibly be were they to become unity conscious and turn their eyes away from God to strive for closer fellowship. There's another saying, there's an old adage that, uh, that if something goes wrong with your faith, something goes wrong with your theology, something goes wrong with your doctrine, probably something went wrong with your fellowship first. Probably that koinonia with God and that koinonia with a room full of people who can instruct you and correct you and guide you, probably something there went wrong.
we were never meant to do this alone. Because if you leave me alone, I can convince myself of anything, right? So maybe, maybe, I'm a musician if you don't know me, maybe you think my music is lame. Maybe you don't like my shirt. <laughs> I don't like your shirt. <laughs> maybe you think my approach to international monetary policy is dumb. But these aren't the qualities which define our resonance or our entanglement. Our koinonia is defined by our basic experience of the love and grace of God. In Christ, you encourage me to continually allow God to reshape, reorder, redirect my mind and my heart. And likewise, you invite me into that relationship with you as we experience the person of Jesus Christ together. Okay, so our other word, joy. In, uh, in my translation, I use the New Living Translation of the Bible. In my translation, the word joy is used 333 times. And I'm going to be honest with you, I don't like the word joy. I don't think it's a coincidence that 333 is half of 666. <laughs> I think it's too precise, too precise. See, my experience of the word joy is that it, it gets thrown around in circumstances uh, where people are glib, who sort of have a cheap understanding of what it means, who substitute it with the idea of being happy regardless of your circumstances. They use these verses with the word joy in them to imply that real Christians shouldn't experience depression or shouldn't experience grief. If somebody close to you dies, you should just jump up and get back to being happy. If something horrific happens to you or a loved one, you should just get over it because joy. But happiness is a cheap substitute for joy. Joy is culminative, right? Joy is, is the gift or the reward at the completion of something that's good and hard. The Old Testament uses the word joy to describe a marriage after a long and costly betrothal. It's the drinking of wine, which has aged perfectly. It's graduation. It's the feast at the end of the harvest. It's the finish line at the end of the marathon. It's relief. It's celebration. It's contentment. It's peace. It's the fulfillment of hard work and hope. John is saying to his would-be brethren to come have fellowship with us by joining our radical, life-changing, redemptive, healing fellowship with God and share our joy. That seems better and bigger than happiness. Joy is the byproduct of one who intimately knows the person of Jesus Christ. They know the depth and the breadth of their own brokenness and that which they are saved from and who has placed their unyielding trust in him. Charles Brent writes this, to be able to look into God's face and know with the knowledge of faith that there is nothing between the soul and him is to experience the fullest peace the soul can know. Whatever else pardon may be, it is above all things admission into full fellowship with God. It's how we are to understand joys, then uh, uh, maybe, maybe it's not so bad. As we continue through this series together, Brian and, and Alex are going to let 
uh, John point us to some important truths and what it means to be a Christ follower. But none of it's going to mean anything. None of it is going to be transformative if we don't get our koinonia with God and our koinonia with each other right. This is the launch pad. This is where John begins. This is the thing that we have to gather around and get right in order for any of the rest of this to make any sense at all. The theologian John Murray writes this. It's necessary for us to recognize there is an intelligent mysticism in the life of faith of living union and communion with the exalted and ever-present Redeemer. He communes with his people, and his people commune with him in conscious reciprocal love. The life of faith cannot be that of cold metallic assent. It must have the passion and warmth of love and communion, because communion with God is the crown and apex of true religion. So let me leave you with a few questions. How is your communion with God? Is it well-informed but void of warmth? Or conversely, is it all about how, how Jesus makes me feel, the idea of this loving Jesus, but I don't really know his story. I don't really know anything about him. I don't really know him. Or have you allowed yourself to participate at a much deeper level in that relationship? How's your communion with these people? Look around the room. How's your communion with these people? Nobody looked around the room. Look around the room. How many of these people do we know? How's your communion with these people? Are they mere friendships? Or have you allowed yourself to participate at a level that is deep and raw and a little dangerous? Does your fellowship with God and his people cause you to be more loving, more gracious, and more compassionate towards those who don't know God? Those who mock your faith? Those who persecute? Do you see those people as adversaries or as souls to be rescued from the deceiver? Do you know joy? If not, maybe your koinonia is incomplete. Let me pray for us and then uh, the band is going to lead us in worship. God, thank you for these, my friends, that, that gather each week. They gather to know you. They gather to know each other. They gather to know joy. God, I pray that you would uh, inspire us that you would spark some, some hunger inside us to really know and love you, to really know and love these people that you've called us to be with, to really know and love the people that, that you're reaching out to, that you're calling, that don't know you yet. God, we don't want to treat you as steak sauce or a fuel additive. We want to be a people who have allowed you to reorder our lives, to reorder our thoughts, to open our eyes to what is real and what is true. God, I pray that, 
each of us would experience uh, some moment this week, some moment where we experience your grace and your love and your glorious presence anew. 